Well, good morning. Wow, it's great to be back uh, up here even. I've been back the last few weeks, but I just want to thank Pastor Brandon and Dr. Dan for bringing the word. Just an awesome job of doing that. And so we're just glad to be here. And, you know, over the next few weeks, we'll kind of be getting some other staff members back in here. And so kind of get the band back together, if you will. So, no, it's been a great summer. And just thank you guys for being so loyal to us and uh, being here and uh, like Pastor Brandon said, giving to and all that. Just thank you. So Hebrews chapter 5 is where we're going to land today and I hope you like me by the time we get to the end of this. If you like me to begin with, I guess, is the first thing. But hopefully you will at the end of it and I hope you hear my heart behind this. But this passage of scripture is one that for me is, is, uh, is very sobering when I read it personally. And uh, I hope it is for you because uh, I, you know, you can read it 20 years ago like I have or 30 years ago and you read it today and go, okay, where am I in this? What, what am I doing? Because we believe that scripture and, and the whole journey of what we teach, especially from the Western perspective of the holiness journey is a growth. It's a continuous, continuous growth. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, but I want to remind you because as again, the writer of Hebrews is, a lot of what he's writing, or all of what he's writing, of course, is he's trying to make a point, and he's trying to reassure, and he's trying to encourage, okay? He's trying to, to prompt, and, and, but, but I just want to remind you, even when we started this series, that to understand the book of Hebrews correctly, it's, it's important that it's written to Hebrew Christians whose faith is being challenged by the Jews, okay, just, just, so when he comes back to certain things, you understand and you remember that he's challenging these folks based on, they are being challenged, they're Christians, but they're being challenged by Jews, and the Jews, matter of fact, often know way more about what they're talking about than these new believers in many ways, because it's so new, they're all using the same scripture, right, like Dr. Dan talked about, that's the Bible they were teaching out of, okay, if you will, and so, it's, it's difficult sometimes to get this real clear picture that the belief system is not just, as we've talked about before, not just, hey, we're Jews, but we've added Jesus. And, 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 and the writer is just trying to make sure you don't get that confused. It's not, we're no longer just Jews with Jesus like many people we talk about often They have a portfolio of life, and they're doing this and that, and they add Jesus and think it's a good investment. And just add Jesus to the portfolio of all, and just in case it's true, just in case, I've added Jesus. Folks, Jesus is no add-on. He is it. I made a mistake this morning. Allie texted me, and she said, and they're on honeymoon, and she texted me, she said, uh, are you preaching this morning? And I text her back, and I just said, I am. And I text her back, and I said, I'm not the great I am. I just, I am preaching. Just want to make sure you didn't think something went to my head since you've seen me last time, that I think that I've come down and become the great I am. I just, I am preaching today. Just want to clarify that for you. So, you know, I have no idea what that had to do with anything, but, but Jesus is not an add-on. He is the fulfillment. He is the apex. It's what, he's, it's what Paul is trying to drive, I mean Paul, the writer here, I'm gonna talk about Paul here in a minute, but the writer's trying to drive, drive home. This is what we've been waiting for. And so he keeps coming. That's the reason why often he comes back to certain things in Scripture where we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter five. Is trying to, again, he's gonna pull off the Old Testament, or Old Testament, he's gonna pull off the Scripture that he's going to try to drive home. And I'll talk more about what he's trying to drive home next week, uh, unless something comes to me before then. I will talk about it at some point because I'm excited about preaching on this particular thing. But Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, I'm going to read this to you then to kind of give a little more uh, backdrop on this. But he said, but we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because, you're no longer, because you no longer try to understand in fact, though by this time you, time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. 
Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about what? Righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And what he's wanting to teach them, and we'll find out later as we go through this, he's wanting to teach them about the priesthood of Jesus. And he's wanting to teach it, uh, Melchizedek, he's wanting wanting to make sure that it's in the line of that, and we'll get more into that next week or the next few weeks whenever I decide to preach on that, because I am going to preach on it, Lord willing, if I'm still around. Uh, So that is going to be the case. But he said, it's, it's, it's hard to explain to you because you've, been not, you've not been pursuing spiritual growth. You've become dull in your hearing. Don't just hear me, but what? Listen. Not just be hearers of the word, but what? Doers. I mean, I would rather know a little bit about the word and do 100% of what I know than know all kinds of the word and do maybe 10% of it. Part of it is because now I'm responsible. That's the scary part. It's now I know. And I'm responsible for what I know, right? So the more I know, the more responsible I am. And that's the reason why sometimes people go, I just don't want to know anymore. I don't think that works either. Because what's the writer of Hebrews saying here? You're supposed to. By now. And you wouldn't want your name in that sentence, right? By now, Kurt, you should be. By now. Anybody there today? By now. Two words. By now. Very innocent words. By now. Put together or not, though, right? By now, you should be. You've been following after the Lord for 30 years. By now, unforgiveness should not be part of your life. But by now, he's wanting to teach them something very deep. And I'm going to tell you, when we get to it, I think it will, you'll understand why it's so critical that he's, he's stopping them right here going, we got to get this right. I can't teach you. I can't just keep ex- explaining stuff to you from the south, explaining stuff if you are dull in hearing. And matter of fact, you're capable of understanding it. You've just decided you don't want to. You're capable. You know when we teach on uncommon, especially when we get to the last part, the five pieces of ethos, is we believe they can. And the reason why we believe, again, we believe they're capable. We're not saying they will, but we believe they can. It's reason why we invest in people. It's reason why we're long-suffering is to be with people. It's reason why we go the extra mile. It's reason why we do second mile plug. And those kind of things. It's because we believe they're capable and that there's a point, there's this switch, this, 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 this switch flips, and all of a sudden they want to know it. But also know when the 70 were sent out, they didn't accept it. What did they do? Dust your sandals off and move on. So there's that tension, right? When you just dust your sandals off, knock the dirt off of it, and go see you, you and God work this out. I'm no longer the vessel. I think we have permission to do that. He said, I can't teach you the details about this. Because you've missed the elementary truths. I mean, I've taught basketball for most of my, well, most of my adult life. And there's certain things you can't teach till you get that right. You know the old saying, practice makes perfect? No, 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 no. Perfect practice makes perfect. But just doing the wrong thing over and over doesn't make perfect, just so you know. 
So you need to know what it is, right? Well, what am I supposed to do? And he's just saying, they're elementary. In other words, a kid can, a 10-year-old can understand it. But for some reason, you decided you want to stay as a 10-year-old. You ever seen a 10-year-old be dull in hearing? That they don't try to understand good from evil? They only understand fun. This is what I want to do. Anybody ever had 10-year-olds? And you work with a 10-year-old. And you work with them. And you work with them. But when they're 16... What they're doing at 10 shouldn't be the same. When they're 25, they shouldn't be doing the same thing. When they're 35, they shouldn't be doing When they're 45, when they're 55, when they, they shouldn't be doing the same thing the 10-year-old's doing. He says, so I can teach you the advanced stuff. And it's really not that advanced. <laughs> it's something you already know because I'm going to take you back to what you already know in Scripture but I'm about to give a big twist, but I can't teach you that because it's wasted on you. He believes there that the maturity or the definition of maturity is the ability to know the difference between good and evil. The word tells us, and I don't have it, it's in Corinthians, to take captive every thought into the obedience of Christ, to take what's coming at you and be able, that's the reason why you need to know the word, that's the reason why you need to have the word memorized, so when that, whatever's coming at you, you take it captive. Stop it in its tracks. The word, it says the word is capable of demolishing strongholds. Now, here's the thing about I want to make sure you understand about demolishing strongholds. Many of you in here have had strongholds. I am one of those people. I'm just confessing to you, and I, I won't tell you what they are, but, but you know, whatever. But, but here's the thing about demolish. It's what that means is rendered useless, but it doesn't mean vanished. Hear me. It's rendered useless, but it's not vanished. In other words, it can kind of be put back together again if you don't keep pursuing. So you can lay it down right here and it gets back up. You can lay it at the altar, you can make room, and then shove it out again. Shove God back out again. You can make room in your life. We are people who vacuums, I mean, the world is built this way. Something's gonna fill it up. Just follow the science, right? Something, air or water or something's going to fill it up. But in your life, sometimes we discount that. So if I get something out, wow, great, I got that out. If you don't fill it back up with something else, the spirit and pursuing righteousness, it'll come back because there's an empty spot. That's the reason why many of you can discipline yourself to stop certain bad habits. But you can't transform yourself to love like God does. It's both. It's, yes, stopping pursuing things of, and be able to discern good and evil. But it's also being transformed to love like him. That's the reason why you trick yourself sometimes going, oh, I stopped doing that. I ain't doing that no more. Well, I must be on my journey with God. And you may be. Don't misunderstand me. But there are people who don't know God can stop themselves from doing things. But what they can't do is love like God. They can't do that. That's only by the transformation and the filling of the Spirit. It's the only way. And again, I'm all for you stopping things that are detrimental to you and to others. All for that. Don't hear what I'm not saying, right? But it's more than that. If you stop there, you're in trouble. You're better... I mean, you're better off and other people around you are better off. But it's not what he's talking about. And the reason, and I think I get myself 
labeled sometimes as, we are a challenging church here. I don't know how else to do this. By the message that we are given from our heritage, which I believe in or I wouldn't be preaching it, that is to press on, to stir up. And so I don't want to be challenged every week. I just want to come to church and, well, you know, there's different churches. But I don't think the writer of Hebrews here is reading, saying this to his audience, to whoever's hearing it. What what he's trying to do is not where they will walk away going, oh my goodness, I just feel like I'm I'm just this beaten down. He's trying to stir them up. He's trying to wake them up. Listen to me, folks. Listen to me. There is a better way. I've, I've, I've kind of coined this phrase since I've been gone. You know, you don't have to do it my way, but I'm telling you, there is a better way. There's a different way. You don't, you know, you know, the ways of this world to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? No longer conform to the ways of this world. There is a different way. Over and over, even in chapter 10, he, he again is like, stir another, one another up to love and good works. Stir them up. Stir each other up. Prompt each other on. You know, I, <laughs> I thought it, but I was working through this. I thought, you know, I used to go to... I won't say where it is because it's still there, but they don't call it the same place. But it used to go to this uh, fitness center, whatever you want to call it, uh, down Chandler. And, you know, you realize when people join there because they have the silver sneakers card, and you have, you know, with those, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, most people that went there didn't go there to get in shape. They went there for community. That's what they were there for. They didn't go there to get in shape. They'd spend three hours there, not to get in shape. Drink more coffee, free coffee, free water. Anybody ever been to one of those places? I mean, it's just like, you know, you may not, but this, this particular one is that way. They got a whole different place, and they're, the older people just sitting over there, and they're walking around talking to people on the machines in their minds, feeling like they're getting more fit. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine a trainer you know, working with people and working with the class and getting that class and week in, week out, they're working on it. And you look up six months later and they're more out of shape than they were when they showed up. What if you were a pastor? That week after week, you believe with all your heart this is the truth that would actually transform people's lives. And you find out for the most part, people who attend every week almost have not grown. They don't know the word well enough, and you realize it. There's a phenomenon that's been going on since, since the early 2000s that, honestly, I didn't even, when I was growing up, you know, 40 years ago, whatever, this would be something I wouldn't even have thought about. But it's delayed adulthood. It's just kind of kind of crazy when you begin to think where we were. I mean, I think of my dad at eight years old driving a team of horses, never went to school. And so his relief was he was relieved when he got called into the army. <laughs> that was a huge relief for him because he wasn't abandoning his family, so that wasn't an excuse. I mean, there's 12 kids in his family. He was the oldest boy. But it actually was a relief for him. He became an adult at eight, nine years old, adult responsibilities. Most of the people I knew growing up, 17, 18 years old, man, they're trying to, they're kind of jettisoned. They're trying to get out. And what I loved about it was the parents didn't make it where you wanted to stay. But I know even in our own family, 
There were extended versions, and I won't name anybody. Sometimes they like being used as examples in my sermons. This would not be one of them. But it was okay. And it was a time, but it's easy to do as a parent. You know, because back then, I mean, uh, we weren't even, even though people went to college, you weren't really required to go to college 40 years ago. You could find other jobs. So you didn't delay adulthood. Now, unfortunately, so much about the college experience to me is, is delaying the inevitable. So now I can stay in college till I'm 24 and 25 and sow my wild oats, and I can delay being an adult. Get with me? I read this from Time Magazine. It's in 2005, actually. This article came out, but man, is it, is it much worse today? It says, social scientists are starting to realize that a permanent shift has taken place in the way we live our lives. In the past, people moved from childhood to adolescence and from adolescence to adulthood, but today there's a new intermediate phase along the way. The years from 18 until 25, even beyond, have become a distinct and separate life stage, a strange, transitional, never-never land between adolescence and adulthood in which people stall for a few extra years, putting off the iron cage of adult responsibility that constantly threatens to crash down on them. They're betwixt and between. You could call them twixters. They're also called adolescents or kiddults. Now, why am I bringing that up? I think that happens to many believers in their faith. Delay, 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 delay. Somebody else has got me covered. Especially when it's a secondhand, uh, Glenn Packiam talks, it's secondhand religion. Where if there's anything important that I need to know from God, God will tell my pastor or my wife or my mom. In other words, I'll just, that way I don't have any confrontation with God. That way I don't have to be pulled here and there by, you know, I, I can kind of keep that at bay. I don't have to deal with that because I can just keep that off because I'm, I'm connected, yeah, right, but, but through an intermediate. I think as Francis Chan said, but the problem is, and we'll go back to this in a few weeks, maybe not this quote, but he says, the problem is we've made people feel comfortable with Moses, but we have, you know, they're comfortable with the intermediate, but they're not comfortable sitting in front of an almighty God. And you know what happens when you sit in front of an almighty God? He's holy. So I'll sit in front of somebody I know is not holy, that represents God, so I can be in front of them, and I don't have to move. And if God needs to tell me something, he will tell them. Having fun yet? First Corinthians 2, 13 and 14, Paul writes basically the same thing as the writer of Hebrews is saying here. And, but he, he, and I don't have the slide up today. One of the things is I, Josiah knows where the secret pockets are to stuff, and I forgot to ask him before he left. So, anyway, so you just have to imagine this. Many of you have seen this slide before, but it's about the natural man, the worldly carnal man, and then the spiritual man. And, and First Corinthians says, and we impart, the, we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, the natural person does not accept the things of the fruit of Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So that's the person who's without Jesus, okay, the natural man. Paul goes on to say, Brothers and sisters, I should not address you as people who live by the Spirit of as people who are still worldly. Okay, same word, carnal, worldly. You're saved, brothers and sisters, so you're saved now. Okay, so now you're in. You know Jesus. His righteousness covers you. It's imputed. It's got you. You're covered. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you're, 
you're not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? In other words, what he's saying is, are you not acting like mere natural people? We can't tell the difference between you. I wish I could talk to you about big things, big dreams, way up the ladder if I had the ladder in here. Way up the ladder. Man, I wish I could talk to you about eighth rung things, but I still got to get this one rung thing in you. Or the eighth rung thing is going to be detrimental to you and to the people around you because you're not mature enough. You can't handle it. The natural man, one without Christ, the world, the carnal man, has Christ, but has not made room, if you will, love the song, not made room for him on the throne. Because a worldly carnal man's still on the throne. Jesus is in, but the spiritual man is the man, and if you had the illustration, nails that self-centered self to the cross. There's an exchange. You go to the cross, Jesus goes to the throne. And now not only is righteousness imputed, it is imparted. It is part of who you are. It's not just borrowed, which is great. We all had to do that for sure by confessing our sins. But now it's imparted where we can live above this radical optimism. It's more the salvation runs hot or cold or makes us feel guilty all the time or, or gets us to, barely gets us to heaven or barely keeps us out of hell. But one, it takes us back to our primitive health, to what we were designed for in the first place. We get to believe and dream different than we ever did before. That's what we're talking about. So why wouldn't we as a church, and why wouldn't the writer of Hebrews urge people on? There's a different way, man. There's a different way. You don't have to do it my way. But I just want you to know there's a different way. That's why we get pretty fired up about it. Herb McManus a few years ago did a sermon many of you have heard multiple times. Some of you, it's just one of my favorite sermons I've ever heard in my life called Battle Ready. He's teaching out of Judges chapter 3, 1 through 6. And I, if nothing else today, I want to say why it's so important that we strive to be mature. But he's talking about the fact in Judges that the Israelites, it's often this way in first generation. I've got a good friend of mine born in Pakistan, or a friend of mine, good friends, but friends, good acquaintances, that he was talking about when he moved to the United States, he was so appreciative that he turned the tap on and water came out. He said, to this day, he's still appreciative of that. But his kids... Totally different thing. There's no appreciation because they've always had it. Zero appreciation for the water coming out of this spigot. <laughs> and that's what really Judges is talking about, is the concern that they had to fight the battles and take the land, the parents, if you will, or the, or the leaders. But now they've been where it's good and they don't know how to, my kids don't know how to fight. You know what? I'm going to be 64 this year. I know I look good, but I'm still 64. No, I'm just kidding. I want my kids to know how to fight because I ain't going to be here forever. They got to know how to fight. They got to know how to fight. Because we have been parachuted into spiritual warfare. This is not just like, a, a, like I've said over and over, this is not a class that we take and we hope we get a passing grade at the end of it and go, hey, Kurt, you got a B, but you still get into heaven. That's awesome. This is a mission. This is a mission. You get up different each day when you know it's a mission instead of a class to pass. You have a different mindset. You have different strategies. You have different intentionalities because that's part of the issue we've got here. There's not intentionality. You go, I'm going to read this. He said, the great concern is 
We would have a generation that had no battle experience. There has to come a day where you get out of the village, and he's talking to those who are not the frontline ones, but the people who are coming behind. He said, there has to come a day when you get out of the village that's been protecting you by those on the front line, and you pick up your bow, and you pick up your arrow, and you pick up your sword, you pick up your weapon, and you get into the fight for making the world a better place. If you don't have to face any battles, you don't have to learn to trust. Your kids, my family, if I'm always picking it up for them, they can't learn how to trust God. They only trust me as the intermediate, and they're comfortable with me because I always come through. It's not just about you becoming mature. It's about those you don't live life in a vacuum. It's the people who are watching you. Wonder what, what, what do we preach over and over in here? To raise up influencers through spiritual transformation to be salt and light where you're engaged and influential. You need to figure out where you're engaged and influential and become salt and light by transformation, not just formation. Again, you can know all the spiritual disciplines and still not be changed to transformation. You can be very disciplined, and that's awesome. And all four spiritual disciplines, you know that. But that in itself is not enough. He goes on to say, the journey with Jesus is not a journey where he moves the obstacles, but where he raises the bar of your life and you raise above the obstacles. That obstacle you may be facing is very well to change you to become something you could not have been without without that obstacle there. So, few things. Why righteousness? Well, one, it's a sign of no longer being a baby. You're not blown here and there by every wind and doctrine, Scripture says. You know where you're headed. You have a plan. You have a mission because he's given you. And it's not complicated. If you understand it, do it. If you understand what he's showing you, not only just from the word that comes, the meaning comes off the page, or from a sermon or a word that you hear, but also as he speaks to you, if you believe he's telling you, then act. The old saying, delayed obedience is disobedience. The second thing, and there's a lot of things, obviously, and I could go all day on, not all day, but I could go a while. It produces the ability to be powerful and effective. James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. You know who I want praying for me? Righteous people. I want everybody praying for me, but I really want righteous people praying for me. The people that are in right standing with God, what they understand, they're standing in line with him. Amen. They're not perfect. I want those people praying for me. The scripture tells me they are powerful and effective. How do we get there? Well, first, I just want to continue, as I said earlier, righteousness is a product of salvation, okay? Just want you to know, Scripture tells us that's how we get righteousness, is is accepting Christ as our Savior. But that's not the stopping point. Again, from imputed to imparted. The second thing is, is true repentance, We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To truly repent. And repent is not just I'm sorry, is I agree with you, God. Not only was I wrong, I, it's like I used to tell my kids, we were talking about the other night with 
great friends of ours, and we were sitting talking about raising our, our kids would have to come in, and when they would get in trouble, and if we've got four kids, they had to come in, they had to sit out in front of me, or, or, or jam, but they had to sit out in front of us and tell us why they got in trouble. After their discipline, they have to sit in front of us and explain why they got in trouble. You may have done the same thing. Because when they say they're sorry, they got to speak that too. Dad, I'm not just sorry because I got caught. I'm not just sorry because you're hurt. I'm sorry because what I did was wrong. I speak what I did, and it was wrong. Because I agree with you, Dad. Does that make sense from confession? It's repentance? That's repentance. And you don't want to do it again because it's wrong. So you're turning a different way. But again, I want to make sure you understand, confession, again, is not just I'm sorry. I'm not just I'm sorry I got caught. <laughs> I identify what was wrong, and I agree with you, God. Third thing, train yourself to be righteous. What does it say there? By constant use, they have trained themselves. Train yourselves. I'm doing something. I'll talk to you more about it some, at some point, some, something I'm working on training right now that I realize, I, and, and I, I, I really dropped out of college, or baseball in college, Probably could have played, I don't know, not, not anything significant, but could have played in college in small schools. But I got embarrassed by my college coach the first couple of days I was out there because he was trying to get me to do some drills that I was so cumbersome on that he said he brought all the other players over there and had them watch me try to do the drill and say, that's not what you do right there. Because I'm a, I'm a sinker. And what I mean is, if you throw me in the deep end, there's a good chance I'm going to drown. But if you tell me how, teach me how to swim, why you swim that way, why I do it that way, I may be one of your best teachers later. But I may have drowned first. Because I never got a shot. Because I drowned because you just thought, well, you sink or swim. That's life. And again, I know that's part of it sometimes. But for me, I have to train. I have to repeat I have to go over and over something. It has to burn deep into my mind and into my psyche and into my whatever rhythm or whatever that is. But to train yourself. Timothy talks about train yourself unto godliness. Train yourself to righteousness. Train yourself. You've got to be in the word. You've got to be accountable. And the last one. Pursue righteousness. I'm going to read this and I'll come back to it. Richard Foster. When you begin to train yourself, God begins to capture and he's going to lead you to pursue. So it began to capture you first the heart and the will, then the mind, then the imagination, and the passion. And it's more than just breaking habits. We begin to take on the personality and habits of Christ. The best way to escape conformity to this world is not by trying to be unlike the world, but by allowing ourselves to become like Christ, pursuing righteousness. We've said this over and over here, like a farmer planting a seed. A farmer can plant it. He can pick the perfect time of year. He can, he can uh, till, it, till the ground. He can, he can plant it, water it, cultivate it, fertilize it. He can do all those things, but the one thing he can't make it do is what? He can't make it grow. But he can give the best conditions for it to grow, and that's what training yourself. Give yourself the best conditions. You can't force it. It only comes from the Spirit. But you've got to give the conditions for fertile ground. And the last one, like I said, is pursue righteousness. 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22, in a large house, and many of you from Uncommon know this is our theme first from there. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use, common use. And those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. I'm gonna stop right there. Useful to the master. Be in God's toolbox. I need, boom, here. You're in my toolbox. You're ready. You're ready to go because you've gotten rid of those things. You've picked up these things. You're ready to go. An instrument of righteousness, a tool for God. But then he goes, and here's how it is, though. Pursue. 
Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue. Bad boy, bad boy, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? You know what pursue means. You know what running means. And some of you run way too long. And it's time to pursue God. Pursue righteousness. Pursue. Faith, love, and peace along with those who call in the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. You need to be hanging out with the right people who can grow with capacity. Some of you are hanging out with the wrong people. That's why you're not growing. Because they're not doing this. Like I used to tell teenagers, first they used to ask me about dating. Many of you know this illustration. I've used it a hundred times in all these years. They say, Pastor Kurt, they go on a date and say, how far is too far, Pastor Kurt? I said, well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> so here's what I'll tell you. It's kind of it's out of this scripture. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. And what that means is, is that righteousness is not a line where you kind of get close to it and go, oh, oh I, almost, I almost went over that. Better get back. Whew, that was close. And one day you get over there and you go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I used to tell kids, I said, you, you, in this sense, you could say, well, sex before marriage, you go, well, as long as I don't do that, then I didn't cross the line. I said, that means you could roll around buck naked together and still, if you're going to that theory, okay, just get that image in your mind. Or don't. True? If sex, if, if sex before marriage is the sin, then apparently that's not the sin because I didn't cross the line. But pursuing is I'm chasing after God. I'm not looking at any line. I don't even care where the line is. It doesn't matter where the line is because I'm pursuing God. Changes everything. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Strive, pursue. This is the goal. This is where we're headed. You're not going to like me very much because I'm going to say this over and over. That's what he's saying. I'm going to keep coming back to it, and you're going to get tired of hearing me. But here's the deal. That's what we're trying to do. We're striving. We're pursuing. We're urging. We're stirring up. We're waking up. One of the awesome things about God is we always have a choice to make a different choice. Whatever the choice we've been making, what's so awesome about his grace, and if you're still breathing, <laughs> you're still capable of making a different choice. Amen. I'm going to ask the crew to come back up, the band, and Adrian. Again, thank you so much for Adrian and the team that's been leading us over these weeks. It's been awesome. That's what you get when I don't preach for five weeks. I did not. I did not do that for a clap. It's actually an apology is what that was. Sometimes you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You go, I'm just going to preach it. Do with it what you want to. And... But I just want you to know, I'll go back to the first thing I said before I read Hebrews chapter 5. Where have I grown? Even though I've out, maybe outgrown some people, and I'm further down the road than some people, I'm not compared to some people. I'm compared to an almighty God. So I have to come back when I look at that and go, well, I'm better off than that. I'm better off than No! Has nothing to do with him. Zero. Has everything to do with him. And along the way, I've realized I've got to continue to grow because I'm a vessel. And everything in this life really comes down to it's about him and it's about them, and I get to be used in the middle. That's dying out to the self centered self. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. That's called holiness. It's called sanctification, dying out to you and making room 
that means you got to move. You got to move. You got to move off the throne. And you don't like this graphic, but you move to the cross. And he sits on the throne. Kurt, I don't like this cross thing and nailing to the cross. Well, you shouldn't have become a Christian. Because can you imagine the central metaphor of our faith is an instrument of execution? <laughs> like wearing an electric chair around you on your chain. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Or needle. That's what that is. The reason why Jesus is not on the cross for us in many ways, like many religions or some religions, he's no longer there. He's no longer there. Pursue, pursue, train yourselves unto godliness. Make the best conditions for him to do what only he can do and let him have his way. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Lord, we just come before you today as one person on a journey of following and pursuing and chasing after you, speaking to others who are doing the same thing. We're all at this at the foot of the cross, level ground. But yeah, some have climbed rungs up that ladder not even because they're more anointed, not because they're more favored, it's because they've been obedient. But Lord, even when you've climbed up that ladder and you're third or fourth or fifth rung, as we've talked about here before, you still have to examine yourself. Go, Lord, I don't want to get too comfortable here. Because I know you got more immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us. Lord, so now as we sing and we take just a few moments, Lord, let your spirit, I'm not here to talk anybody into anything, but your spirit, when it woos, when it pulls, when it convicts, when it comforts, there's a stick on to it. <laughs> Lord, have your way. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Altars are open. You come. You feel led this morning. Somebody might think, well, I've got an issue. 
Now they won't be the ones you, you stand before. You stand before the one. So I, I usually don't say that, but I just encourage you today to make room. Make room. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to. this body, we're grateful for these people.